So yesterday, I spent a couple of hours going around and installing doorknobs on every door in our house. Every closet, every bedroom, every bathroom. Not exactly difficult work, it just takes a while, okay, installing all these doorknobs. Well, before I started the process, I opened the first box that the doorknobs came in and pulled out the instruction sheet that unfolded like a 1980s travel map, okay? Uh, I started reading it, and Melissa looked at me like I was nuts. She didn't say anything because she knows me by now, but I could see it in her face. Her face was saying, every doorknob in the world works the same way. Just put it on the door, okay? Um, but I'm a rule follower. It's how I live my life. I have to read the instructions to make sure I'm putting them in the way they're supposed to go in not the way I think they should go in. And uh, when I was done reading the sheet, I am happy to let you all know she was right. They were just like every other doorknob I've ever installed. Um, the payoff was pretty low for that story, I get it. But what it's going to take, and, and this is what I want you to understand, here's the thing. You are not a doorknob. I know, you did not expect to hear those words when you came to hear me preach this morning, but everybody should walk out with the understanding that you are not a doorknob. What it's going to take to get you finished spiritually is way different than what it's going to take for everyone else in this room. There's not one way that everybody is going to grow. There's not one way that everybody's going to be discipled. It, there's multiple ways that everybody has to find their own path to discipleship. We're in our second week of this series called Follow, and last week we looked at the big picture of what would it mean for you and for everyone else to create a specific plan. I had to really pause and think about that one. A specific plan for Christian maturity in your life. To walk down that path of discipleship, wouldn't it be great if every single person at Trilogy had a specific plan for how you are going to grow? Not a generic kind of thing, not a, you know, hey, here's this plan, we're all going to follow it, and hopefully we'll all get to where we're going. Not an every doorknob is the same approach, instruction sheet for discipleship, but a specific plan for each one of us to take the path we need to take to arrive at the same destination. That's the thing. We're all going to the same place. Our destination, as we follow the path of discipleship, is a life that looks like Jesus. That's where we want to end up. Our destination, as we follow the path of discipleship, is a life that looks like Jesus. And as we unpack the six different areas of focus for our discipleship plan, we talked about those at a very high level last week, we're going to individually work out what our path to get there should look like. So you're going to have a little bit of homework, not a lot, like one sentence, each week that I want you to think about and I want you to work towards. And this morning we're going to take a look at the first area, and that is the area of delight. Now last week we talked about how Paul gave this great example while he, he was discipling the Colossian church, and through that example we can identify six categories of how you can grow in your relationship with Christ. And it's the issue number one of delight, two is disobedience, three is doctrine, four was development, five was discipline, and number six is dependence. And those six work together, and we're going to unpack those individually in the coming weeks. 
this week, we're going to unpack the issue of delight. And at the end of each week, we're going to stop and ask ourselves, how would I go after that specific category in my life and start growing? So we're not going to wait until, you know, the end of this series and then go all the way back and say, okay, now I get to build the plan. We're going to build it as we go so you can see what would it look like for me to grow in this area. Next week, the next area, and all the way through. So today we're focusing on delight. And a, a way to look at that is finding your necessary motive. What is your motivation for following Jesus? Because too many Christians attempt to grow in Christ through bad motives. Now, wait, wait, wait. Following Jesus and growing in him, isn't that good any way you go about it, no matter what your motives are? Isn't it good just to grow in Jesus, even if you have bad motives? It's not wise if you're doing it out of guilt, if you're doing it out of obligation, or trying to impress somebody else. Some people follow Jesus because they're dating someone who's really sold out to Jesus, and they're thinking that they need to grow, or they're going to lose that relationship. Now, that is a reason, but it's not a good reason, and it's not going to last for long. Some people desire to grow because they feel guilty about their current lifestyle. Guilt will only take you so far. And so in Colossians 1.27, Paul says this, and this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Now, think about that, church. Christ lives in you. His glory is is your glory. That is an absolutely beautiful thought that I don't think any of us fully grasp what that means. That Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, if you follow Jesus, he lives in you. Now, we're taught that from the time we're five years old, and we, you know, you need to ask Jesus into your heart, and we don't, you know, I little kid, they're just like, wow, there's room in there for Jesus? You know, I mean, they don't really understand it either. But I would contend that I'm going to turn 50 this year. I don't think I have a much better understanding of what it means that Jesus lives in me. That's one of those mysteries of how in the world does Christ dwell in me? Not part of him, not some of him, not like some of you get more because you're a better person. No, the fullness of God dwells in Christ, and the fullness of Christ dwells in us. And that should cause us to get more excited than anything else in this lifetime. That should cause us to get more excited than getting that promotion at work. That should cause us to get more excited than we do about the cowboys or the longhorns. That should cause all of us to stop regularly and say, I can't believe that Christ lives in me. I can't believe it. It's so important for each of us to really start thinking through what is my motivation? Why do I want to grow in Christ? What is it that is propelling me forward? What is it that is pushing me? In fact, that's the evaluation question I want you to ask today. I want each one of you to evaluate this. Why do I desire to grow in Christ? What is my motivation? And you're going to have to really kind of think about that question. What is causing me to want to grow in Christ? Now, some of you, if you're honest, you would say, I really don't. Okay, well, then we need to work on that. But some of you have a desire, and it's like, well, it's, it's really because my spouse is pushing me. Or it's really because I just feel guilty all the time. Or it's really because, you know, any number of reasons. But what is your desire? Why, or what is your motivation? Why do you want to grow in Christ? Here's what I believe. I believe. 
I believe that most Christians fail at discipleship for one of two reasons. Number one, a lot of people, they follow Jesus out of duty rather than delight. They follow Jesus out of duty rather than delight. It is an obligation to them. This is the difference between you have to follow Jesus and you get to follow Jesus. Two very different mindsets, two very different motivations. I have to obey this or I get to obey this. Some people, they see following Jesus more of an obligation rather than an opportunity. And we need to view following Jesus and our relationship with him as an opportunity to live for him rather than an obligation. They see it as something you're supposed to do. And we need to grow beyond the place where we feel like we have to act a certain way or do or don't do certain things because if we don't, God's going to be angry with me. That's not the right motivation for following him. God's going to get me. That's transactional. Some of us have a transactional way of following God. God, I came to church today, so you better make sure that my boss isn't rude to me tomorrow, because last week stunk. We strike deals with God. And some of us have prayed prayers like this. God, I promise to do this as long as you will do this for me, right? I mean, I think we've all prayed a prayer like that at some point. We've all kind of bargained with God in our prayers. It doesn't necessarily make it right, but I think we've all done it at some point. And so sometimes it's out of duty rather than delight that we follow Jesus. You're following Jesus because you feel like you have to rather than you get to. And that causes a ton of Christians to struggle in their discipleship because that motivation doesn't stick. It doesn't last. It may move you a few steps down the road, but it's not going to carry you for the long haul. The second category is this. Some Christians delight in something else more than Jesus. They delight in something else more than they delight in Jesus. Some of you delight in something else other than Jesus, more than Jesus. There's something that you love more. There's something that you're more joyful about than you are about your relationship with him. And for a lot of people, there's no room on the throne for Jesus to be the joy of our life because we've put something else there. Something else is occupying that place of primacy in our lives. Something else means more to us and gives us more of a lift than Jesus does. Now, some of you are sitting there going, no way is that true for me. And then comes the question, well, I don't think it is. How do I know? Here's the thing. Let me give you some ways to figure it out. Here's some questions to help you think about this issue in your life. If arriving early to a movie is easy, but getting to church on time is difficult, you might have a delight problem. If you will spend exorbitant amounts of money on things for your home and then make excuses for why you can't give to God, you might have a joy problem. If you are more fearful of what a certain crowd thinks of you rather than what God thinks about you, somebody else is in that place in your life. If you will abandon what God says in order to make someone in your life happy, Jesus isn't your delight. You following me? So some of us were in the first category, and you know Jesus needs to be first, and you're doing it, and you're miserable about it. You're miserable. God wants me to do this. I don't want to, but God does. I guess I'm going to go with it, and you end up being miserable all the time. And some of you are going to say, wait a minute, Pastor, because that's the total opposite of everything I've ever been told or thought about following Jesus. Maybe you've heard a pastor at some point say something like this. I've probably said something like this before. Even when you don't feel like obeying God, you do it anyway. Right? But faith isn't based on feelings, right? So we just need to do it. Make the decision and go for it. 
And I would say yes to that with caution. Because I believe that if you are following Jesus and you're doing the right thing, but you're miserable about it all the time, you're not going to last for the long haul. You can't follow Jesus out of duty and endure. You can't follow Jesus out of duty and endure. When things get tough, when persecution comes, you're going to crumble. There's a reason that the apostles could be in prison and be singing songs of praise and worship and their faith was not shaken. Why? Because they had joy that wasn't dependent on their circumstances. Some of us are following Jesus out of duty and we're miserable. We don't have joy even when things are going well. Here's another way of looking at it. When you do the right thing with the wrong motive, you might be in danger of doing the wrong thing. When you do the right thing with the wrong motive, you might be doing the wrong thing. Now, some of you are giving me the confused dog look right now. You know, uh, I don't know if I agree with that, right? Let me explain. If you do the right thing with the wrong motive. So, God, you want me to obey? All right, I'll do it. As long as I'm going to get a favor later this week, as long as you're going to bless me, I'll do it. If you're doing the right thing, wrong motive, you might be in danger of doing the wrong thing. That is not the approach. Let me show you that you really do actually understand this. Okay, let me, let me take this, roll this up. Okay, there we go. So let's just imagine this is a completely hypothetical situation here. Let's just imagine that there might be a couple in this room. By the way, this is a bouquet of flowers. Isn't it pretty? Okay, there might be a couple in this room that at some point in your dating relationship, the guy used to bring the lady flowers. And hypothetically... At some point in your life, you are eager to bring that girl flowers because you are hoping to win her affection, right? You start dating for a while, then you get married, and all of a sudden, hypothetically, she looks at you one day and says, you know, I really miss those days when you used to buy me flowers. I know that's never happened in any of your relationships or in any of your households, okay? And of course, then the guy responds, great. Now if I buy you flowers, y'all follow me. Now if I buy you flowers, you know that I'm just doing it to make you happy right? So if I don't give you flowers, I'm not doing what I need to do. But if I do get you flowers, you know that I'm doing it just to make you happy. So now I'm stuck, hypothetically. So what do you do? You don't know what to do. So here's the picture. I'm going to do the right thing here for a second. Here's my flowers. Let's pretend I've got this bouquet. And, and let's just say, all right, woman, I got these for you. Are you happy now? I went to the really nice floral department at the Walmarts, and I left the sticker right on here so you could see just how much I spent on them. You like yellow because it makes you real happy and everything inside. So here, this is what you wanted, right? Is this what you wanted? Are you happy now? Ladies, am I scoring any points here whatsoever? No. Okay? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, wow, that happened in my house this week. Um, so I, I do counseling as well. So here's the picture. I'm doing the right thing. I'm giving flowers. Ladies, if your man did that to you, he did the right thing. He did, but he did it with the wrong motive. Are you happy with that offering? No. You can throw those flowers in the trash, bro. She don't want them. And the guy is going, but I spent money on them. I got the colors you say you like. I did what you asked me to do. 
Can I just tell you that's how many of us treat God with our obedience? Fine, is this what you want, God? You want me to do this? I don't want to do this. I would rather go that way. And you're telling me this way? Is that really what you want? Fine, I'll do it. There, are you happy now? Look at the price tag. Look at what it costs me. Now, what am I going to get out of it? We maybe don't say those words, but in our hearts, we reflect it. We have a delight problem at times, folks. Some of you are doing the right thing, wrong motive. You're doing it out of anger. You're doing it out of bitterness. You're doing it out of guilt. You don't see that his ways are better, and there's no joy in you following him anymore because you're not acknowledging that God's way is the best way. That if God has a plan for your life, it's going to be incredible. We just need to follow. And this is what's so dangerous. Some of you have been doing the right thing for years, but you're missing the joy behind it. There's no joy in your journey because you're doing it for the wrong motives. You're missing an incredible opportunity that we all have to receive that rich, full, and abundant life that Christ came to bring us. Listen to Deuteronomy 28. This is incredible. If you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and enthusiasm for the abundant benefits you have received, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. You will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, and lacking in everything. Listen to that. They did the right thing. It wasn't about what they did, but they didn't do it with joy. If you do not serve the Lord your God, they were serving the Lord your God, with joy and enthusiasm. It goes beyond just what you do. It has to do with the heart behind what you do, the motivation behind what you do. They had the wrong motives, and God said that he was going to punish them for it, for doing the right thing. I'll be honest, that's a scary verse. How many times am I doing the right thing, but there's no joy in my heart in doing it? But aren't we supposed to follow God even when it's difficult? Absolutely. I'm not talking about your emotions here. I'm not talking about emotionally getting behind. If you wait for your emotions to lead you in the right direction, you will wait the rest of your life. It's not going to happen. I'm talking about finding joy in the privilege of following. Example from my life, when I left my last position in Arizona, I was pastoring a church in Mesa, and God told me that it was time to leave, and we stepped away, not really knowing where we were supposed to go next. I was open to whatever God had, as long as it wasn't church planting. And then Melissa said, hey, we're supposed to plant a church. <laughs> oh, get thee behind me, wife. No, I had the worst attitude towards church planting. I'm just being totally honest with you here. I went into church planning kicking and screaming, folks. And it wasn't until I finally decided, okay, fine. Let me open that door and see what's behind it that God just overwhelmed me and changed my heart. And I, did, I went into it then with everything I had and with joy and with purpose and with direction. And I believe God used it. I don't think Trilogy would be here today if I had still had that bitter, fine, I'll do it if I have to attitude. You know why? Because y'all would have figured that out real quickly. 
<laughs> There's no way I could have pastored a church plant, a Bible study in my home, and then in the modular unit, and then in the school, and then now in, the, in our own facility. There's no way any of, nobody was going to follow a dude who's bitter about the whole process. And so God changed my heart. And that motivation difference makes all the difference. We need to find joy in the privilege of following. That we are so overwhelmed with gratitude and awe that Christ lives in us that we can't help but follow where he leads. But then for that other group of people, there's something else in that proper position where God should be. You find joy in something other than Jesus. Whatever it is, it can be a person, it could be a possession, could be some kind of object of your affection. If you are finding life in something other than him, you don't fully understand him. You don't see how good and how glorious and how marvelous Jesus really is. And some of the things, folks, some of the things that we love, they're not bad. They're not bad things. Now, some of you love some bad stuff, okay? That's just honest. Some of you love bad stuff. But then some of you love some good stuff in an unhealthy manner. And really, when it comes down to it, there's no difference. Because it's both sin. You put them in a position in front of God, and then you wonder why everything seems to be imploding on itself. Why is that? Because you have a delight problem. What is the greatest delight in your life right now? I want you to examine what is the greatest delight in your life right now. And if it's anything other than Jesus, the first part of your plan is this. We got to remove that thing and we got to put him there. We have to, or else I don't care how hard you work on the other five categories, it's never going to come to fruition in your life. You'll stall out every time. Delight is the key to following with persistence. Delight will see you through. I talked about the apostles in prison. Delight saw them through, it was the joy that caused them to keep going. Discover delight and you will grow in your faith. You will become more like Jesus. We're going to look at a verse from Matthew in a second. And Jesus is speaking here about the kingdom of God. And whenever he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in scripture, a lot of times people will say, oh, he's talking about, you know, the end when we get to heaven one day when we're finally there. And that's partially true. That is true. But what's happening here is when he says the kingdom of heaven, I want you to think about this phrase. Every time you read kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven out of the mouth of Jesus in scripture, think about this phrase, already but not yet. Already but not yet. We're experiencing the kingdom of God already but not yet. That means that when I'm walking with Jesus right here, right now, am I living in his presence? Yes, I am already but not yet fully. Does that make sense? There's still more to come on the other side. So here Jesus is trying to describe the kingdom of heaven to his listeners. And he gives a parable. It's a story to help those people remember what this looks like. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now it doesn't say that he just sort of wrote out whatever was in the checking account there okay, to pay for this field, right? It says he sold everything. He put stuff on eBay. He used Craigslist. He had a yard sale. Everything went. He sold everything he had to get enough money 
to buy the field. So he's willing to sell his house, his current land, any type of possessions that he has, any type of wealth that he's accumulated, his life insurance policies, his retirement, everything he's got, the baseball card collection, it all goes. The treasure he found was more valuable than anything else in his life put together. What in the world is in that treasure that he found? That's really not the important part, although it's fun to think about. So check this out. Not only is he selling all that stuff, there's a very important word in there before it says he sells it. It says that in his joy and the delight out of this overwhelming excitement. In that excitement, and the Greek word for excitement carries the, the sense of joy and delight. He is eager not just to get the field, but he's eager to sell everything that he has to get the field. It comes out of that excitement that he has. Why? Because that treasure is that important. So he and his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field, and then the parable's over. And you could just imagine people go, well, what else do you mean, Jesus? He's like, that's it. That's what the king of heaven's like. This is a picture of what following Jesus looks like. It's not you looking at it saying, okay, here's all this stuff I got to do. Here's all these other things I'm supposed to do. And I know God wants me to do this. And probably if it's fun, I'm not supposed to do it. If it's miserable, that's what God wants me to do. That's how a lot of people view following Jesus. Jesus says, no, that's not it at all. If it's you finding a treasure that is so much more valuable than anything you have in this life, that in your joy and in your excitement, you surrender everything that you have and everything that you are, everything that you care about, you lay it at my feet just to get that treasure. And you don't even think about what you're laying down. That's what following Jesus looks like. Now, can I ask you a question? Does that represent the way that you followed Jesus this past week? Is that what your life, daily following him, looks like? And I want you to understand, because some of you might be sitting here thinking, man, I thought this wasn't supposed to be about guilt. But that question was sure pretty loaded. Yeah, the last thing I want for you to do is feel condemned. That's not my purpose, because that's not from God. But I think all of us could use some conviction in this area, can't we? where the Holy Spirit pushes us in the direction of delight. And I believe the Holy Spirit is doing that. He's always pushing us in the direction of delight to discover or maybe rediscover joy in our relationship with Jesus. If your version of Christianity involves miserable submission rather than this glorious opportunity, you're not where you need to be. If you just feel miserable and, okay, I'll submit to God because that's what I'm supposed to do and his commandments tell me to do that, and you're miserable about it. It's like the rich young ruler, right? Jesus says, all right, sell everything you have and follow me. And he goes, I love my stuff more than I love you. Well, he doesn't say that. He doesn't speak those words, but he shows it. He turns around and walks away sad is what scripture tells us because he loved his possessions. He missed the picture that Jesus wanted to give him overwhelming joy and the most full life possible. But he felt like Jesus wanted to make him miserable. I have to lose all my stuff. I have to give all this stuff away. Why did it hit him that hard? Because his stuff was on the throne. But Jesus wanted him to have more than he ever had with his money. He wanted him to have life. That's what I'm going to give you if you say yes to me. Not let's see how miserable I can make your life. Can I just tell you that's not Christianity? 
That is not Christianity. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to following him, when it comes to discipleship, you don't have to be kind. You get to be kind. You don't have to be faithful to your spouse. You get to be faithful to your spouse. You don't have to make wise financial decisions. You get to make wise financial decisions. You don't have to serve. You get to serve. There's nothing better than following Jesus. And that's not Jeff the pastor, the preacher, saying that. That's Jeff who has spent plenty of time following Jesus out of duty and other time following him out of delight. In firsthand experience, there's no comparison. None. It's the best path in the world. Is it hard? You better believe it's hard. But it's worth it. Why? Because of what's in the box. Because of the treasure. What's in the box is worth every single sacrifice. If Jesus is the greatest delight of my life, no offering, no sacrifice, and no decision could ever be seen as a burden. It's a joy. Psalm 73, 25 reflects this well. The psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. This is the parable of the treasure. Just in the psalmist's words. The attitude here in the psalms is what motivated the guy in Jesus' parable. He sold everything he had and didn't blink because he valued the treasure more. The only way that you can give everything away with joy is when you value what you receive even more. Yes, Jesus is worth it. It's a joy. It's a delight. I have met so many people who claim to follow Christ, and they get stagnant, and they get stuck in their relationship with him, and they think it's a commitment problem. I just can't commit to following him. It's not a commitment problem. It's a joy problem. Some of you can be as disciplined as you want to be. You just don't have joy, and it's not fueling your following. Joy fuels your following. You've made it transactional, though, and that's not sustainable. Knowing Jesus is more like finding a treasure than it is accomplishing a task. It's more like finding the treasure here in this parable. You find something so beautiful and so glorious that you go, it's so much more than checking off a box and getting something done. Now, when he found that treasure, did he accomplish tasks to get that treasure? Yes. Dug a hole, found the treasure, covered it up, went to the guy, can I buy it? bargains, he acquires it, sells everything that he has. So did he accomplish tasks along the way? Yes, he accomplished a bunch of tasks. And yet they weren't a burden to him. Why? Because the payoff was worth it. And the treasure we get is so much more than any material gain because it's him. Jesus is our treasure. It's him. And if you are waiting for me to say it's him plus something else, you don't get it. He's enough. You will never, this is a quote by A.W. Tozer, but you will never be satisfied with God and until you are satisfied with God only. It's all about Him. In fact, not only is He enough, He's more than enough. If I lose everything in the world and I have Him, I am satisfied. I have something of far greater value than what I've ever deserved in my life. What's the greatest joy in your life? What's the greatest delight in your life? And if the answer is not Jesus, how will you go about placing Jesus back on the throne of your joy? All of us, we've got that throne sitting there in the middle of our heart, middle of our soul, and whatever is on that throne is what brings us joy. 
And some of you have something that's seated there, and quite honestly, it just doesn't fit because it was meant for a king. You've got just some kind of token on it. How do we know what it is? could probably ask the people closest to you, and they could tell me real quickly. Ask a child in your house. They could tell you. What's the most important thing to you in your life? If my kids ever see me more joyful in anything more than I am in Jesus, I'm doing a disservice to their souls. Ask the people around you. Ask your spouse. What do you put most of your time and affections and attention to? They'll know. And here's why it's so important to make sure that Jesus is in the proper position of delight. You have to realize this. The motivation you have for wanting to grow in Christ will determine the level of your success. That motivation will determine how well you do in your path of discipleship. If you think that you've got to, it will only last so long. If you believe that you get to follow him, like there is this overwhelming joy, it changes everything. The most critical element in your discipleship is to make Jesus both your priority and your privilege. Make him first. Make him your priority. Say that there's nothing else that's going to be in that position but him. But then also it's a privilege to follow him. It's a privilege to do what he's called us to do, to follow his ways rather than the world's ways. And to think that Jesus created me. He made me. He knows me better than anyone else does. He knows things about me that no one else knows, even things I haven't realized about myself yet. And he still wants me. Makes me think back to 22 years ago when I was standing on the platform in a church in Wheaton, Illinois, in a tuxedo, and the doors to the back of the room opened, and there was Melissa. There was part of me as I stood there that went, she actually went through with it. (laughs) She's walking up the aisle. She wants to marry me. She's actually here. And I thought to myself, how could somebody so beautiful and so glorious and wonderful and sensitive and kind and compassionate want to be with somebody like me? Now, 22 years later, she's still, she's still asking those questions. But let me take that to a whole other level. How could anybody so glorious as Jesus Christ want to be with somebody like me? Because you need to understand, he does. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've put yourself through, no matter what decisions you've made, he does. And we need to wake up to that reality. It's not like Jesus is honored that you're here today. We're honored that he would meet with us. Why wouldn't you want to be as close as you can with someone so incredible as Jesus? Of course you would. It's the absolute best thing we could ever experience. It's not a burden. 1 John 5, 3, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. It's not a burden. It's a joy because I get to be with him. I get to be with Jesus. Now, to someone outside of the faith, get this. Those commandments are a burden. Okay? They absolutely are. But in Christ, they become an outflow of our heart to follow him. John 15, 11, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Does that sound like miserable religion to you? Jesus going, I want my joy to be inside you and be so full inside of you that it just pours out? That's not misery. That's glory. Psalm 16, 11, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Are you seeing the pattern In God's word here, it is a joy. It is an honor. It is a privilege. It is a delight to follow Jesus. One more verse, Philippians 3, 7, and 8. 
I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Everything else, Paul said, is garbage. You know what garbage means, the literal? Another Greek moment, this word is used for what you flush. That's what Paul was comparing it to. That's what this word means in the Greek. Paul has been talking about religious things that you do that honor the Lord. He's talking about his background. He's talking about his pedigree spiritually. I view all of that stuff, Paul says, even good stuff, possibly even noble stuff, as worthless just for the pure joy of knowing Jesus. I put everything else on the level of refuse when compared with knowing him. That's how serious Paul is here. Every one of us needs to pause our lives and ask ourselves if we believe that today. Is Jesus the greatest joy in your life? This is the first step as we start developing our plan for discipleship. Finish this sentence. I need to delight in Jesus more than. Fill in the blank. I need to delight in Jesus more than whatever it is. Some of you already know what the answer is. You know what the greatest joy of your life is. Some of you may need to think through it. Is it the approval of others? Is it not knowing Jesus but staying busy for Jesus? That is the greatest joy for you? Is it your favorite team? Is it your physical appearance? Is it obeying commandments out of fear? Is it your spouse's happiness? Maybe it's just finding a spouse that will make you joyful. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's how successful your child could be. Maybe it's your favorite hobby. But whatever it is, it sits on the throne of where your joy is. And that should be Jesus. You need to say, I need to delight in Jesus more than that. And then you start asking, what step can I take to make that happen? How can I move forward? How am I going to start warring against that thing that's bringing me the most joy and put it maybe not in the trash, but in the proper place and let Jesus be alone at the center of your life? So today, where we start, is you identify what is the greatest joy in your life right now, and then you start asking, how do I start making steps to put Jesus there? I can't write that out for every single one of you, but I know this. Some of you probably already know some things you need to start doing, some things you need to stop doing, and some of you just need to start praying and say this, like what David said in Psalm 51, God, will you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Let's pray. Praise you, God. Lord, we're, we're sorry for the times where our motivation has been off, where we followed you out of a sense of duty, where we followed you out of obligation, where we followed you to please someone else. And God, I just pray that you would help each one of us to get to that place where you restore the joy of our salvation. God, for those of us who have something else on the throne of our hearts right now other than you that's pushed you out of your place because we find joy in something else more than you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts all across this room. Help us identify what those things are. 
For some of us, it's not just one thing, it's multiple things. And God, we need to do some serious business in this discipleship process in our own lives. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each heart right now. Right now, in this moment, speak to hearts and identify those things. Don't let one person walk out of here confused about what's the next step they need to take. Help us, God. Lord, I pray for all of us that as we develop a plan and we work this plan, God, every one of us would get to the place where we are serving you out of delight, that there is joy back in our faith journey, that, God, we, we view everything we do as a get-to moment, not a have-to moment. Lord, as we do this, let it fuel every other area that we're about to talk about in the coming weeks. God, we want to do it with joy. We want to live in delight. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.